It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hey, y'all. Ryan Sprague here. As you all know, the Somewhere in the Skies podcast is always free to consume, but it isn't free to create. That's why I've started the Somewhere in the Skies Patreon campaign. On a monthly basis, you give what you think the show is worth. You'll be helping the show continue, grow, and to be something truly communal. And remember, there are rewards for each level of contribution, and the list is only growing. So please, help Somewhere in the Skies now by becoming a patron. To contribute and to learn more, visit www.patreon.com backslash somewhere skies. Thank you for your support. And now on with the show. I'm naturally a paranoid person. You can ask Connor, Carl, or anybody about it. I'm probably the most paranoid person in this group. But I think the further down this path we went, the more paranoid everybody else got too. I think the hardest thing about Hellier is bringing people into that moment with us. It is putting people in our shoes and going, how would you react if you got these emails? How would you react if you started noticing that there were connections between this email and this thing that's happening to you? How would you feel if you started to realize there is someone or something watching and potentially pulling strings? This is Somewhere in the Skies with Ryan Sprague. Following a frightening new lead into the mysterious paranormal activity hiding in the shadows of the Appalachian Mountains, researchers Greg and Dana Newkirk, along with Connor Randall, Carl Pfeiffer, and Tyler Strand, find themselves further down the rabbit hole of high strangeness than ever before. From chasing modern-day sightings of supernatural entities like Indrid Cold and the Mothman, to venturing directly into the underground mazes of the Mammoth Cave System and attempting dangerous parapsychological experiments with disturbing results. Season 2 of Hellier follows every thread to get to the heart of the phenomena behind the elusive David Christie and the cryptic Terry Wrist. Today we're talking to Greg and Connor about their personal experiences with this season of Hellier and what you should expect watching the investigation play out as they journey further down the rabbit hole. Let's get to our conversation with Greg Newkirk and Connor Randall. I am here with Greg Newkirk and Connor Randall. Guys, thank you for joining me on Somewhere in the Skies literally days after the release of Season 2 of Hellier. So thank you, thank you for doing this. Dude, we're excited to be here. Yeah, this is the first interview that I've done post-release, so I'm excited to talk about it. Ooh, throwing you to the wolves, my man. This is good. Oh, I'll go easy on you, I promise. 
Well, that kind of uh, leads into my first question for both of you. Um, I, I just finished the last episode moments ago before we hopped on here. So this is fresh in my mind. It's going to be really oh, wow. fun. My first question for both of you, Greg, let's start with you. Um, how has it been received so far? I know it's only been a couple days, but what's the feedback been like uh, in relation to um, just everything? Oh, man, unbelievable. Uh, completely unexpected. I mean, we here's the thing. I mean, we we knew it was good. We thought it was good. Of course, we're always going to think it was good. Um, and we we thought it was going to have a really great response, but we are absolutely blown away. Um, I'm I'm stunned, frankly, at how well received it's been, because there's some there's some weird ideas in there and some things you don't normally get to see on on TV shows like this. So to see it be really, really embraced this weekend, and it's launch weekend, um, you know, it was trending on Amazon Prime's trending TV. Mm-hmm. It's still trending. And I think, in fact, Connor, if I'm correct. Yeah, it is. I know. Uh, yes, I just checked uh, <laughs> like an hour ago. Still there, still growing. Um, so that's got to be an incredible feeling. Connor, what do you think, man? How's it been so far? This is sort of your your first dive into the world of uh, of Hellier with these guys. I mean, you were you did season one as well, but this is a whole other level, I would imagine. It is. And I am so proud that it's being received the way it was. You know, we were pretty, I like to think, fairly knowledgeable in season one, but we were stumbling around a lot. Then And really, if you think about it, it was filmed over a pretty condensed period of time, a, sh- a much shorter period of time. Season two just took place over, you know, 15 entire months. And we and we really sat and we dug into the research really hard. We were nervous that people were going to be thrown off or confused because, hey, we're confused. But that's that's part of the beauty of it. And people are accepting it and loving it and we just we're just beaming from from ear to ear these last three days, man. That's amazing. I mean, you mentioned stumble, and that's a really good way to look at something like what you guys are doing. I mean, this isn't some scripted reality show where you've got this structure of how the first, second, and third act are going to play out. I mean, you guys literally filmed things as they were happening, and this is completely different from most paranormal television we're used to seeing where you kind of know kind of like a you know a police procedural how everything's going to pan out we're going to we're going to hear about a ghost we're going to figure out who the ghost is we're going to figure out what the ghost has to say to you and that's kind of <laughs> it you know and this mm-hmm. is something completely next level and um i remember Carl was in New York City here maybe a few months ago and I was talking to him. This is just after the first season had sort of wrapped and I'm like, is there going to be a season two? And what's it going to be about? And I just remember he shook his head and he looked at me and he said, let's go get some drinks. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, that, that was exciting when I knew that you guys were not done with this because clearly the phenomena was not done with you guys. So I guess sort of to to catch people up, could one of you maybe explain to us sort of the origin story of Hellier? I know that's a huge broad spectrum question, <laughs> but what what would what did the first season sort of encapsulate for you guys to kind of propel us into season two? Greg, maybe let's start with you. Uh the short story is in two thousand twelve I got an email from a guy who said that there were goblins. He didn't use the word goblins, but uh, there were little creatures coming out of a mine shaft 
uh, on the edge of his property, and they were scaring his kids. They were stealing stuff uh, out of his shed. They were they stole his dog. You know, I thought, well, it's this is you know we get weird emails like that all the time, just the nature of what we do. Mm. And I thought, well, it's just somebody screwing around. They just you know want me to write a story about it for Weekend Weird. And I sent back my stock response, which is, listen, you know, I'm living in Canada right now. It's going to be very difficult, uh, time consuming for me to get down there and check it out. You're going to have to give me some proof that you're not jerking my chain. And he sends along all these photographs of these really weird three toed footprints and these, you know, in typical paranormal fashion, very out of focus, blurry photographs that he <laughs> says are of the creatures. And, you know, the, the, Photographs of the prints were enough to get me excited about it because, you know, these, you know, sending it to the first people I could think of who knew anything about weird footprints were Bigfoot hunters. And these Bigfoot hunters were like, well, you know, man, these things look like they have dermal ridges. You might want to take this a little more seriously. And so I said, all right, let's go. I'm in. Where do I have to go? Uh, and he disappeared. And after that, I got an email from a guy who went by the name Terry R. Wrist, and he said, you know, why did you why'd you stop? You know, hellier was a symptom. And uh, the only reference I can find of this guy is in a really obscure book by uh, Alan Greenfield, a ritual magician and ufologist, mm -hmm. who interviews Terry Wrist in the appendix of his book, which is all about summoning extraterrestrial creatures uh, and repelling extraterrestrial creatures via ritual magic. Really strange stuff that uh, not not the type of stuff that I dabbled in back then. I was a ghost hunter back then. So it just made the whole thing weirder. And then the case just sort of sat until Dane and I ended up moving to the States and decided to go check out Hellier, the town where this all happened. And when we were there, the town had a weird feel. There were people who had weird stories we ended up going and driving around and we found a house that looked so much like it could have been the place that this happened. This could have been this David's house. Uh, it hit all the, the boxes. And then we got super busy after that. We meant to go back and follow up and, and see what was going on. But we ended up going and doing an episode of Finding Bigfoot. And then our careers just kind of popped off. And so we never went back. Years later, Carl, here's uh, an interview with Jim Perry, actually. Uh, me talking about this case and he experienced all these synchronicities with it and he contacted me and said I think we're supposed to do this man I think we're supposed to go follow up on this which I wasn't even I mean it was like come on man we're not going to find goblins what do you think's going to happen um, but Carl pushed and because of that push <laughs> we're really in over our heads <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right I know which kind of um, kind of is where we were left with the the first season of Hellier is um, a lot more questions than answers. I mean, we were there with yes. you trying to figure <clears throat> this shit out. And um, you did mention Alan Greenfield, sort of a legend for a lot of us UFO people. He's like one of the OGs when it comes to mixing UFOs, sure. the occult. And um, he kind of set up this, this cipher context for your journey. So what was mm. it like, first of all, for both of you to work with Alan Greenfield on this. Uh, Connor, what, what was that experience like? It's kind of funny. We've gone through this personality sort of shift in our ideas on Alan Greenfield. He has gone from this really mysterious, very suspicious figure to somebody that we're actually, you know, Greg is in fairly regular contact with now. <laughs> who's like 
going through the mystery with us. Mm. Um, he had this strange shift of being suspect number one to yeah. suddenly being like, oh, wait, no, this this guy, this figure that Alan Greenfield knew, this Terry Wrist, we think was actually a real person. You know, a bit of a spoiler there, but we're sitting there and it's like, well, hold on. What can Alan Greenfield tell us? What does he know? What was he onto back then? And where can we sort of continue that work, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, when when you guys brought up the fact that Terry Riss might be an actual person, like, I got goosebumps. Because, again, <laughs> it's like this this um, omnipresent sort of metaphor metaphorical figure that I also was convinced was Alan Greenfield. I mean, the guy is just a walking enigma. I, I've had, you know, brief encounters with him. It came with when I bought Secret Cipher of the Euphonauts, my first copy of it. And I, I don't think I've ever told you guys this story. I told Carl, but when I got the book straight from Greenfield, mind you, I opened it up and the first couple pages, they're literally printed like diagonal on the page. Like they're shooting off the page. I can't see half the text. And I'm like, what? what is this? Like, there must have been like a mix up with the printer or whatever. And I'm going through the book and it's just sporadic pages throughout that had like this weird diagonal print. So I'm missing half the text of the book. And I call my father who is been in the printing business for almost God, 30 years now. I'm like, is this like, it's, it's diagonal on the page, but then the next page isn't. And this one, like three pages more in is, and he just told me, like, that's highly unusual. That should not happen. It's, you know, it, it would either be the entire text or, like, you know, just the first page until they figure it out. So I tried to contact Greenfield to be like, Yuck, look, dude, you sent me a faulty book. And I never heard anything back from him. So that was kind of my weird introduction to his work is I wanted to read it, but I literally <laughs> could not. So I don't Weird. know. I, I don't know what to make of all that. But um, yeah, Greg, what what did you walk away after this season thinking of Mister Greenfield? Oh, I, I I'm in love with him now. <laughs> I think he's great. Yeah, he he is so funny because we, like Connor said, we had a, a very distinct opinion of him before we ended up going. And I mean, I'd emailed him back and forth, and he's just you know he's very enigmatic. He's an enigmatic uh, guy, and we had built up this idea in our heads of this guy who's this ritual magician and he's very mysterious and we go to meet him and the dude shows up in like a Hawaiian shirt and just <laughs> proceeds through dinner to just blast out all of these opinions that we had of him and was exceedingly, exceedingly helpful. And you know, like, like Connor said, we've still been in contact with him. You know, he, he offers up his thoughts on things and he's been ex extremely helpful. And I think this is the cool thing is I don't think that our experience with him is very unique to us. I think that a lot of people feel the same way about some of these big figures in old school ufology or, or, you know, paranormal research or parapsychology or cryptozoology or whatever. And so because of that, they, they sort of keep their distance. Mm. But one of the things I hope people take out of Hellier we interview a lot of people and it was not hard to do that. All we had to do was ask and we got to go and sit and get this information direct from these people who strangely enough, there's like nobody talking to. It's really weird. That is a very good point. I think there is this 
sort of line in the sand between the quote-unquote new guard or old guard of any of this, ufology, cryptozoology, uh, I feel like the younger people getting involved are intimidated, to say the least. I mean, you look at these these juggernauts, Keel and, and Greenfield and, and all these old school researchers who went out there, did the work, boots on the ground, traveled the country, interviewed people, uh, yeah. made connections. And you look today at a lot of the work that we do, the younger generation, is by the click of a few keystrokes. So, <laughs> right. Which isn't, I'm, yeah, not, it, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Um, no, 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 no. There's room, there's room for that, for yeah. sure. Yeah. But there are certain things we've learned this firsthand through Hellier. There are certain things that you just cannot understand or have context for unless you just boots on the ground. Go, go and do the interview. Go to that place. Feel what that place feels like. See that street and try and re- remember or, or think about how that street would have looked when these events took place. Um, and I, th- I think it's gotten too easy to not do that now. Mm-hmm. And that's a lesson we had to learn. And I hope that it's a lesson other people will will learn from us and then not make the same mistake and just go, go to these places. Don't just sit on your computer and Google Earth it. Go there. Talk to these people. Exactly. Which is what you guys did. And you actually brought a new member to the team. Um, Yeah, let's let's get to it. Mr. Tyler Strand. I'd never heard of this guy before. The minute you put him on camera, I'm like, whoa. I feel like I just drank 10 Red Bulls. So, they're <laughs> uh, monster energy drinks. Oh, uh, apologies. <laughs> apologies. 666. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's a different story. Um, so, what prompted you to reach out to Tyler and what did he bring to the team in your furthering this investigation? Tyler reached out to us. Okay. I think the phenomena put him into this series. Uh, I, I really see no other solution to it. You know, he, if people watch season one, they actually catch a glimpse of him and it was a synchronicity that made him show up. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. I, I must've missed that in the first season, but, um, <laughs> yeah, he did. He brought like a whole new level of energy and passion that was there. Uh, but that, that I think a lot of the more adventurous of those out there who look into this stuff, he's not afraid to go into the belly of the beast. You know, I mean, he is just climbing mountains. He's going into the caves. He's, he literally had like a throwdown. I think Greg with you about pursuing a certain lead or coordinates where you guys, (laughs) you put the line in the sand and said, fuck, no, I'm not doing that. And he said, well, then I'll do it. And something else about Tyler that stuck out to me, one line in an episode, I don't want to give away too much, but um, he said, I think one man's angel is another man's alien. And that line resonated with me in so mm-hmm. many ways. I literally, when he said that, I was like, hell yeah, that is exactly what I've been trying to say for years. <laughs> sort of that that lens um, and the life that each person has it directly affects their perception of an experience, whether it's what you guys are doing, whether it's aliens, whether it's a miracle or the supernatural. So I'd love to know both your personal thoughts on that, you know, sort of the lens in which you, you perceive one of these events. Um, You know, it's funny. That statement is one that Tyler made in his interview and uh, you know, about a week afterwards. And, and when he said that, especially given what he had just been through, you know, without giving too many spoilers, but it sort of brought home his perspective where um, I think he was really 
thrown off by these things where, where, you know, he's not scared. I mean, Tyler's really not scared of much, honestly, in my experience, but, but he was really felt this intimidating energy and really summed it up very succinctly by saying that I come from a little bit of a differing viewpoint because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm practicing Catholic. And so there are some pretty clear lines in the sand there. From my viewpoint, I think there's darker or scarier aspects of this case. And I think that there's lighter aspects of this case. And so whatever we can tap into to get help from those from those lighter energies is is something that I'm definitely interested in looking more more into. Yeah. Interesting. How about you, Greg? I mean, I'm sure it ebbed and flowed every minute. Like you're dealing with goblins, then you're dealing with <laughs> communicating with aliens. Nope, nope, nope. It's not an alien. It's it's a it's a mythical god that everyone's forgotten. You know, just the, everything, everything. So what is what's that concept to you mean? You know, this idea of one man's angel is another's alien. I think what Tyler did is he really succinctly summed up a lot of what we started this whole case with, which was this idea that there was some phenomena happening in the Appalachians in along the Mammoth Cave system. But because these places were so segregated from one another, people had given the phenomena different names. So someone would call it one thing and another person would call it another. It was a Tommyknocker or it was a goblin or it was, uh, you know, who knows, whatever. It was a, a, a Bigfoot. But when you start to tie all of those things together, you realize oh, it's all the same thing. It's just different names mm-hmm. because people didn't have the context. Mm-hmm. So Tyler saying one man's angel is another man's alien is the, is the most succinct way to really show what we're looking at with this entire case is that it's just about the lens through which you view the world. You can only describe something in the terms that you understand. And so for one person, uh, 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 an external force that seems omnipotent, you know, that's, that's an angel. But for another person, that might be an extraterrestrial. And for another person, mm-hmm. who knows? It could, be, it could be anything else. Yeah, there's there's entire books, you know, I'm sure that you know more about this than I do, Ryan, looking at angelic and biblical proportions through sort of a ufological lens. That's fascinating. Um, the other thing is like, and Tyler said it well as well in, in an interview he did recently, these reports from about goblins specifically, the thing is, is that we sort of gave them that blanket term goblins. David never actually referred to them as goblins. He referred to them as extraterrestrials. And then gave that description that really fit well with the 1955 case. Mm-hmm. In addition, there's other reports of thing people who call them golems, people who call them little beings, little men, little you know things like that. It, the reports are all over the place, which frankly makes the job a little bit more difficult. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, I, I think something that I think all three of us sort of have in common or had in common is uh, our faith. I mean, Greg, I remember you saying in the show, you know, you were. You were raised very, very religious. Connor, I know you're a, a practicing Catholic. I am myself. And that, that does play into a lot of these things. I remember reading for the first time about the, um, you know, the sightings of Fatima and that now mm-hmm. we look at something like that as perhaps one of the first UFO sightings, something right. Jacques Vallée has talked a lot about. So 
it's exciting to me when you can come into these things with one faith and come out with it, um, respecting perhaps another faith. Um, so I found that really fascinating. The, the things you decided to tackle in this season were big. They're big. <laughs> they're controversial. And, um, I just, I have to commend you guys for just staying open to everything that was sort of thrown your way. And, um, that's, that's, that can't be easy, I would assume. Well, we're, we're constantly scared. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so true. Uh, I could only imagine. <laughs> well, that's actually a really good, a good transition, Greg. Um, being scared. Now, you guys are kind of led down some dark roads, uh, in one place in particular that you end up in this season. And, um, it was scary, man. I'm not, I'm not gonna lie. I was literally <laughs> concerned for your guys' safety. I mean, we knew Hellier season two was coming out and we knew you guys were still on social networks, but, um, you <laughs> know, what you may have experienced in the filming, well, we weren't quite sure of. So what was it like struggling with sort of, this idea of like becoming too paranoid. I, I've seen a lot of the chatter online, sort of the skeptics or uh, the detractors of the ambitious things that you guys are doing saying, oh, they're just paranoid. Like they're making right. shit up along right. the way or finding connections that aren't there. How do you deal with something like that when every small thing becomes a synchronicity for you? I mean, I think that's one of the biggest things in the second season. Yeah. Uh, the second season is us tackling this idea of at what point is it a connection and at what point is it a, synch is it a synchronicity? Uh, at what point are is it a small synchronicity and something maybe that's just a side effect of what we're doing and where we're going and what we're looking into? Um, and that's – I mean that was a big part of our paranoia. You know, Plus some of the, the new scarier elements that are sent to us in this case – and some of the paths that we very reluctantly traveled down because honestly we had to, uh, those didn't help either. And I mean, I'm, I'm naturally a paranoid person. You can ask Connor, Carl, or anybody about it. I'm probably the most paranoid person in this group. But I think the further down this path we went, the more paranoid everybody else got too, except maybe Tyler because Tyler just doesn't care. <laughs> <laughs> but, it's it's tough. It's I think the hardest thing about Hellier is bringing people into that moment with us, uh, which I think we've done a really, really good job of this season It is putting people in our shoes and going, how would you react if you got these emails? How would you react if you started noticing that there were connections between this email and this thing that's happening to you, how would you feel if you started to realize there is someone or something watching and potentially pulling strings? And I think we feel that more in this second season. I think just because it's objectively a darker and scarier season than the first season mm -hmm. and the connections are so much more hard to deny. I mean, there's a lot of people who probably won't give Hellier a second chance because they saw the first season and thought, well, you know, I think they're making a mountain out of a molehill. Thing is, we said from the very beginning, season one is just a prologue. We started shooting season two months before season one was even released. So we've mm. had to keep our mouths shut about this for a long time. In fact, 
the sixth episode of the 10 episode second season is the release of the first season. So people can see how things have moved. So anyone who felt that way after watching the first season, I would say I would with a a super huge amount of confidence, watch the second season and you will reevaluate all of the things that happened in the first season uh, and see how important they actually were. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I, I think I'm going to go watch everything in reverse now and see what, <laughs> what comes out on the other side. Connor, what do you think, man? How did, how did you deal with sort of the, the paranoia aspect of all this? Feeling like you guys might, you might have been led. That, that's terrifying to me. Mm-hmm. It is. It absolutely is. You know, Greg is the one at the heart of this case. You know, we all have, are helping him out and our and our this has become our case too but at the at its base form this is Greg's case before anybody else's the emails were sent to him the idea of somebody watching what he's doing and watching my friend go through that paranoia i mean i've seen Greg get very emotional on all of the other sides of the spectrum about this case um so it's something that's deeply personal it is really difficult to describe what a synchronistic aspect is like. And I hope that there, I'm sure there's listeners that are shaking their heads. No, like that. What are you talking about? And I'm sure there's listeners who are, are fully agreeing with me. Things like when you are thinking about something, um, you open up a book and exactly the sentence that you look at is the word that you were thinking about, except sometimes tenfold more powerful than that. It feels as if there's some force that is wanting to guide you through these checkpoints. It's something that we've struggled with trying to explain. But as we said pretty early on in season two, we think that it might just be sort of once people tap into this level of high strangeness, it might just be a side effect of something that that can occur Mm -hmm. around you while you're doing that. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 This idea of symptom, symptom, side effect, it, it just keeps coming back and back and back, which builds onto a greater question towards the end of season two, I would say, but we won't, we're not going to give anything away in terms of that. But, um, <laughs> something that fascinated me, guys, I am a UFO guy, so I got to turn it back on this for a minute. Um, <laughs> the experiment you conducted, Greg, early on before any of this, where you induced an alien abduction experience holy <laughs> shit man like that yeah, what do you mind. think about that it blew my mind. well okay so i i've struggled I've Hon- always, honestly yeah yeah i've always struggled with hypnotic regression when it comes of course to experiencers um I, I i would i i have to say this i i don't suggest it to those who come to me and say i've been abducted by aliens um, of course not not because i don't believe memories can be brought up I, I'm more concerned about the trauma those memories can cause to the person afterwards. Mm, interesting. I, I, I don't necessarily think that they're being led or that the, the hypnotic, uh, regressor, quote unquote, is trying to put their agenda on anything. You, um, you think they're buried for a reason. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I for honestly sure, man. do. And I've yeah. had so many experiencers who don't need the regression to remember certain things. And that's, when I'm like, okay, don't go to a hip, you know, don't go to hypnotherapy. Go to right. a therapist, a certified yes. therapist who has sure. no connection to aliens or UFOs whatsoever. Cause you need, you just need help. 
You, yeah. you don't need to know what happened on that craft necessarily. You just need <laughs> For sure. help. Um, yeah. So this was really fascinating when I learned that you conducted an experiment where you put someone under and put implanted an alien abduction scenario into their mind. So how how did that whole thing come about and how did it sort of play into the greater story of Hellier? Well, the experiment happened because we were shooting a web series years ago, 2012, 2013. And it was me, my friends, Nick, Jason and Dana. And the whole point of the show that we were trying to make was we're going to go and like test drive stuff, weird stuff. Right. So the, the, the name of the show was engaging the strange. And that's kind of been our motto for a lot of the stuff that we do with Planet Weird is like engage the strange. The paranormal is a subjective thing, so you have to subject yourself to it. And that was the goal of this series. And so we went around, you know, we were we were swimming in Fountain of Youth. We were drinking blood with vampires. We were, uh, you know, we we tried to get abducted by aliens. That was the the goal. Let's get abducted by aliens. Now, as Connor and Carl will tell you I'm a person who doesn't like to do something if I don't know it's a sure thing. I want to have an idea of what's going to happen, right? I want to know that there's a there's an end. So Hellier's been a very difficult a difficult project for me to work on. I'm better now than I was before. But because of that, I kind of knew we weren't going to get abducted by aliens. I had low hopes for that at least. So I reached out to a friend of mine who did some writing for Week and Weird and I said Lonnie, you're a hypnotist. I know that you do, you know, I don't, Lonnie never did these because he didn't, he didn't agree that they were ethical. Um, but I, I was like, I know that a lot of people do regression sessions for abductees, but do you think you could put an alien abduction in somebody's head? And he's like, yeah, absolutely. Of course I can. Uh, but I'm never going to do that. He's like, that's terrible. And I was like, what if we all agree? He's like, absolutely not. And then he was like, you know what? I thought about it. I think we should try it. As long as you know, I'm only going to do it for one of you. And as long as you know that you're all on the same place and uh, I can put the idea in, but sometimes it might be a bit harder to get out. And so this idea was we tried to get abducted the old fashioned way. And since that didn't work, let's try it a different way. And we went into it purely as a, you know, what's this experience going to be like? We're going to get to send one of our friends on this journey into his own mind and then interview him afterwards. We'd see how it would line up with traditional abduction experiences. How was it the same? How was it different? How much did Lonnie have to lead him into this situation? How much would his mind fill in? It happened. When it happened, it wasn't supposed to be Jason that went. We were going to send our, our, our friend Nick. And Jason, before Lonnie had shown up, like spent half an hour talking about how he didn't believe in hypnosis and how when he was in high school, you know, he did one of those like local fair hypnosis things and he just played along. Mm -hmm. And when I brought this up, you know, I was like, listen, you know, Jason doesn't believe in hypnosis. Should we believe in hypnosis? Lonnie went, you know what? I think he's the perfect victim. Well, not victim. He's the perfect. <laughs> he's the perfect experiencer for this. Uh, and so that's why he ended up going. And it it resulted in a really frightening uh, experience. Yeah. You know, he was only under for 20, 30 minutes and he th had an experience that was four days long and it wasn't a nice one. 
And he was barely led into that experience. And it really changed my opinion on what's happening with a lot of abduction phenomena to believing that a lot of the stuff that's happening during these abduction experiences, and we've hung out and talked to abductees since then, and they have agreed. There's a non-physical aspect that happens to these. And a lot of those abductees are like, all you did was turn them on. You you invited them to give him an ex- a non-physical experience that's just as real as any physical experience. And it really, uh, it frightened us. Absolutely. The implications of that. I mean, I... I work here in New York on Broadway, and I'm currently working a production of uh, Darren Brown on Broadway, The Mentalist. Oh, wonderful. I love Darren. He's amazing. And that's the thing. Like, I... I was never a big proponent of hypnosis. I, I've said it many, many times and I watch this guy eight shows a week, put someone under with literally putting their own hand in front of their face, just like you guys did and right. catching them in the most vulnerable mental state they can possibly be and going under and short circuiting their brains. Oh my God. It's, it's, amazing and it's scary to see how easily that happens right so easy i mean if if like the military got all these mentalists together imagine imagine what they could do with these people and the who says they're not that's uh, yeah that's a (laughs) whole other season of hell yeah that's (laughs) or of darren brown i don't know i don't know um but yeah so he goes under he has this incredible abduction story come mm-hmm. out and um this kind of plays into the the bigger picture of hellier and communicating with possible non-human entities which i yeah. found fascinating it's that time of the year your vacation is coming up you can already hear the beach waves feel the warm breeze relax and think about work you really really want it all to work out while you're away monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind when all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync things just flow wherever you are tap the banner to go to monday.com this is Paige, the co-host of giggly squad and i want to tell you about a company that i've been loving olive and june olive and june gives you Everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss regarding the experiment the hypnosis experiment with jason there's there's three things that have 
could have possibly happened in my mind um, because we know that he was hypnotized and was not faking it. So dismissing that, there's three possibilities that I could think of. He first up, maybe his maybe his subconscious made it up. Why his subconscious would do that, I have no idea. I think some of the more likely scenarios would be either number two, he already had something happen to him and it was a potential accidental regression. Or number three, we he was tapped in. He was tapped into an experience and to some sort of higher level of beings or something. And it just sort of created a, a quick shortcut to get to that sort of an experience. And so going forward, our thought was, well, shoot, Greg, you had this re- really interesting, scary idea to do this. If he was tapped in and were potentially dealing with, with extraterrestrials or aliens or ultra terrestrials in this case, why don't we try to get tapped in? Mm. So that was that thought process there. Yeah. And you, that sort of bleeds into Carl and his, uh, his influence and, um, contributions this season, not only shooting a beautiful series, but also, um, Mm -hmm. going under himself again, putting himself out there like all of you did throughout this season. And he had a very sort of vital message concerning, um, (laughs) gateways, fringe, Uh you know, this, this whole, Ultra terrestrial, extraterrestrial. Uh, I, I don't even know. I can't find words to describe anything I'm trying to ask you guys. And I think that's hellier. You, well, listen, no let me, let words. me, let me provide context for this. Please do. <laughs> because I am struggling. When we decided to do this. When we decided to do this, there are a few reasons. And one of them was at the time, we thought that one of the the emails that Terry Rist had sent, you know, there were you, there were coordinate points in it. it. That's what we believed that these were coordinate points to Brown Mountain. And one of the things that Connor jogged loose in one of our interviews was, is there anything else that you could have been doing at Brown Mountain? Well, the reason that we went to Brown Mountain was to try and get abducted by aliens. The alien cave base thing, you know, hanging out with Micah Hanks. Uh, you know, it was just an offhand comment, you know, s- somewhat sarcastic that Micah Hanks had had made about, oh, there's this person who thinks there's an alien cave base here. And we just our brains just went, oh, hellier. We weren't there for that. We were there to try and get abducted. And so that that put a new context for those emails that said, why did you stop when you were so close in coordinates that appeared to be at Brown Mountain? So that's part of the reason we did this. We thought maybe we were supposed to do this. And then when it came to actually doing this experiment again, we did it a, uh, we did it a little bit differently because the, the experiment we'd done with Jason didn't end very well. Mm-hmm. He actually he genuinely started to believe that he had been abducted by aliens and had to work with Lonnie for a long time afterwards to uh, uh, erase it more or less. Mm-hmm. Um, we interviewed him years later, which people will see in season two. And not only does he believe in extraterrestrials, which he did not before, uh, he had a fear of extraterrestrials. Like he got nervous at the very uh, discussion of this experiment. So it had changed his his personality in a fundamental way. We didn't want to do that exactly again. So we kind of reworked it a little bit. And when it came time to choose who was going to go, it really came down to Carl and Connor because – it's, I don't think it's a secret 
Carl and Connor are the most objective people on the team. Mm-hmm. It obviously wasn't going to be Strand because his brain's filled with all kinds of bonky ideas. <laughs> and Dana and I are, you know, I'm paranoid. So my thought is, well, I'm going to have a bad experience. If I do this, I'm already a paranoid person. There's too much. I had too much fear in my brain at that time. There's no way. And, you know, Dana, uh, you know, she's she's a very magical thinker. So when it comes to who's who's the audience going to trust for this experience, it came down to, well, Carl is the eyes of the audience. He's de facto the most objective person out of all of us. So sending him seemed like the right idea. And his experience was very strange. There was a lot of weird stuff that came up with like, you know, that were potentially opening gateways. But I think the weirder thing to me is the fact that he functionally predicted the future while he was under. That's insanity. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. It, it's again, it's so hard to like to talk about this without giving anything away. But um, yeah, it, it was a moment of uh, revelation that I think people have to see for themselves. But for sure, Greg, you do mention Dana. She is like the superstar of the back half of this season, I would say. <laughs> she is right. Um, my God. When when I saw the sort of the witch and Dana teasing in the first season uh she went (laughs) full-blown witch this time man and it it brought it brought some of the biggest revelations of the entire season again um that you guys kind of walked out of with season two so again i we don't want to give away the big the big reveals but what was it like stepping into her world you had a very personal experience uh with it, the stuff that Dana was doing this season. So uh, what was that like? I mean, I'm I'm fairly used to it. I, I because, would imagine, yeah. Because, you know, she's she's my wife. Some people think she's my sister. We have a white stripes thing going on, so people aren't really sure. Uh, <laughs> but but I'm, I'm fairly used to it because this is, you know, that's who Dana is. Um, if anything, she toned it down a lot in the first season, which I think has a lot to do with the fact that when we shot the first season, we didn't really know Carl and Connor very well. Mm-hmm. And now we're like super great best friends. You know, we, we're on the chat line talking to each other every day where we're going through a very, uh, an experience that has bonded us. So it's a different thing. And I think because of that, we all kind of let our guards down around each other now. So we know, we know who each other are and we've accepted who each other are. And a big part of that is Dana being a pagan, being a witch. Mm -hmm. And I think the more interesting question is for someone like Connor, who is is a devout Catholic. And and Connor had to do a lot of stuff that was very obviously uncomfortable for him in the second season. Because I don't think the rest of us – I mean, listen, I was raised – my dad's a Baptist minister. I'm an ordained minister. Uh, he's not a huge fan of the stuff that I'm into. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I think I'm, 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 I guess I'm functionally pagan these days, (laughs) uh, which is a big deal, you know, for someone, you, you know, as religious, as, as a religious person, you know, that the further you get away from your belief system that you were raised with, particularly if you're a Christian, Mm -hmm. there's always that little voice in the back of your head that says, well, you're going to hell for this, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, like, you know, that. Um, that voice doesn't really exist for me anymore after Hellier 2, which people can figure that out themselves. 
But I think it's more interesting to hear what Connor has to say about having to be part yeah. of a lot of this stuff that's kind of uncomfortable. Yeah, please, Connor, if you're mm. willing to share that with us. No, it's a good question. You know, I, uh, I think, and I, and, and I, in a way, I thought of a lot of the stuff that Dana was doing as sort of being like a megaphone, where it's like, hello, phenomena, like we are right here, you know, so so she's very good at sort of giving these energies out into the world through her own means. And she's very skilled at, at, at sort of opening doorways to communication. So um, the curious seeker in me was was interested to see what happens. Um, I think the sort of religious side of me, in a weird way, felt some some comfort and some intimidation off of what had happened in episode nine. Right. Um, but also, uh, you know, I think I was able to bring in a little bit of my belief system as well um, mm-hmm. in some ways. I, and I think that, you know, there's a lot of more similarities than people give credit. I think that Dana and I maybe do come from different ends of a spectrum, but we both meditate. You know, maybe when she's meditating, it's something else or she's doing different chants. You know, when I if I were to say the rosary or something like that, it's it's very sort of similar in that aspect. In addition, you know, that my faith system has our faith system, right, has a whole bunch of strange, miraculous happenings throughout. So I think being a curious person, I was like, okay, let's let's see what happens. I, I feel, you know, protected and and comfortable enough to sit here and be like, well. Something's talking to us. Let's see what it is. <laughs> right. You know, there is a quote, and I want to attribute it to Father Malachi Martin. Uh, anyone who's a big Coast to Coast AM fan remembers Malachi Martin, some of the scariest episodes. Uh, wrote a book called Hostage to the Devil, and it was all about exorcisms. Uh, I want to attribute it to him. Uh, forgive me if I'm wrong. But he said something once. Somebody asked him, you know, well, I'm of this faith. You know, you work with people of different faiths. What – how do you reconcile this? And he said, there are many paths to God. And I like to think about that uh, because I think that – I really do think that's true. Mm-hmm. I think we all have our own path to the divine, whatever we decide the divine is. And it's just – again, it's that idea, right, of different lenses mm-hmm. viewing the same thing. Right? Absolutely. And I mean, that's a beautiful, even visual to look at many paths to God, you know, I mean, no matter what your faith is, um, in somebody, a mystery person who will remain mm-hmm. nameless, uh, says this later in your series, um, sometimes simpler is better. And when, <laughs> right? when you look <laughs> at that, there's many paths to get to the same sort of endpoint. It's so true. You, you can make things as difficult and complex as you want but at the core of it like we're all trying to get to the same thing but no matter listen, what your is, isn't that really the story of hellier yes exactly right we exactly. took so many paths but they all seem to be leading to the same place no matter how hard we try and take another path it just reroutes itself yep yep sort of um wrapping up my my personal questions guys i've got some awesome listener questions um connor i gotta ask you man um, more yeah. on the technical side. Um, I remember seeing photos of you and Carl editing this beast of a project. <laughs> and how how in the hell do you begin to even string together like a cohesive narrative or story with everything you guys shot? I, I would imagine like thirty percent of what you shot is what we're seeing in the season. 
<laughs> yeah, absolutely. There was, you know, we have iPhone footage on all of our respective phones that goes back two years, you know, that we had to sort of pick and choose how we're going to tell the story of this insane case. I will say, you know, 90% of that falls on Carl. He's the guy with the footage and the guy with the clips and the audio that's piecing it all together in this brilliant way. And he spent night after night for a year and a half um, piecing this entire thing together. A lot of the front work happened, um, you know, somebody had, had asked me this on Twitter as well. How do we keep these thoughts sort of organized? Carl and I chat would chat and basically sort of um, we would write out some questions for different interviews that we want to get from everybody. And we would ask Greg, Dana, Tyler, a lot of the same questions. <laughs> and then what would happen is they would give the answers. Um, we would do Carl would create rough cuts of the episodes and then we, we could clearly see where some blanks were. And so it would be like, okay, Connor, can you explain what this is? You know, we just mentioned this. We don't understand. So I sort of, get the benefit of looking like somebody who really knows exactly everything, but that's because <laughs> I'm the last interview, you know, who's like <laughs> filling in all of the blanks. Um, and so it's, it's a, it's quite a beast, uh, to try and edit. And, and Carl did a, a fantastically good job and, and Greg did a great job leading the interviews with the witnesses in the fields. And I would write down all the answers they were giving and highlight different sections that I knew, you know, would be good and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. it has to be said mm-hmm. while on the topic of this, the when when Carl said, I want to release this November 29th, I actually said to him, are you nuts? <laughs> <laughs> I could not believe that he had because here's the thing. We we created two seasons of a television show in a year, oh, and the God. second one was twice as long as the first one. It's crazy to me that that happened. And so I think it really speaks to the dedication and passion of of Carl and Connor. Like they they you know, I was a little jealous because they had Camp Hellier mm-hmm. for like a week <laughs> where where Carl brought all of his equipment over to Connor's house and all they did was they sat there and they edited and they uh they brought Anthony the uh, who did the score. They brought him over to fill in the gaps. And did so much work in just a week because it had to be uploaded to Amazon, you know, like two weeks with two weeks so that they could review it. Um, it's insane the amount of work, particularly that Carl and Connor did over the last year. Absolutely. And I mean, I, I know from experience, like, that's no easy feat. And I mean, meanwhile, Carl's also working with Euphemed, traveling the country doing that as well. So I mean, it's, it's, it is insane that the timetable you guys were able to do this in to get it out at that deadline you set for yourselves. And also, could you, could you mention the, the, um, the score as again, for us like, who did yeah. that because my god that the the score drove this thing so well i was listening with stereo headphones and there are some little little things in the background that i think um if you catch they add so much to it yeah so the score was uh created by um one of my bandmates his his name is anthony sistone um he is sort of a master of of melody that i'm really proud to know and and call a good friend so he um essentially 
created it based off of our recommendations for scenes. One of the more difficult things that um, has to happen during editing that, that Carl did a lot of is like you you watch a scene and it's hard to tell where music should be and where it shouldn't, you know, um, in order to create a natural sort of narrative way to do this. So we would have these sections and then Carl would sort of siphon to me, say this, this part needs something, this part needs something. And then I would sort of provide Anthony with these vague descriptors and, (laughs) and, um, different tones and possibilities. And he would, send over four or five different drafts of these songs until we sort of put it in and Carl put it in and was like, yep, that's it. And, and so that is that the way that that process worked over the last six months or so. Um, in addition, we have a lot of great bands, um, that, that were willing to, to license us some of their music, um, that really helps drive some of the more intense moments. Um, so I was really, really proud of, of the way the soundtrack came out. Yeah, yeah it, it really brought a whole other level. I, I know Sunspot was one of them, big friends of theirs. So yeah, you guys did a wonderful job with that. Um, now, moving to some listener questions. These are fun. Um, so mm. our first question comes from, oh, he, this guy definitely is not the first time he's watched it. Bryce Johnson over at the Bigfoot Collectors Club. <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> Let's love start with Bryce. Bryce. Um, he asks, where can I find a reader's list or book list to accompany Hellier season two? Oh, God. We've talked about this. I think Connor was especially concerned with putting one together. I think that's something, you know, there's there's some unofficial lists that are going on right now. Mm-hmm. If you scroll Twitter, there's people who've literally they've they've taken it upon themselves to put together Amazon lists so that you can look at it and just go and get the book that you want. Um, but I think we probably should put together an official list full of stuff from maybe seasons one and two. What do you think, Connor? Yeah, let's do it. We'll do it this week. <laughs> yeah, like you guys don't have enough going on. Yeah, <laughs> right. <I'm sure. laughs> um, That's fun. We want people to read. That's like, it's funny. I, I was I was arguing with someone on Twitter today, and I said, Hellier's a show about reading. Mm-hmm. Legitimately, like it's it's made more people go out and buy books than any paranormal show I can I can think of. Oh, absolutely. Uh, it, and if that's the if that's the most that Hellier achieves, I think that's a fairly awesome thing. That, that people are going and, and buying books and reading. Absolutely, man. We're going to get you guys on PBS to another reading rainbow. <laughs> um, MJ Benias over at uh, Terra Obscura, he asks Connor, a lot of people are interested in the, the Estes method and what it's like being plugged into that experiment. So would you mind maybe um, – I, I know this is hard, but giving like a Cliff Notes version of what this is and um, describe its purpose and what it physically and mentally feels like when you're doing that. Yeah. The Estes method is something that um, Carl, uh, our friend Michelle, and uh, myself uh, created while we were working at the Stanley Hotel in Estes Park, Colorado. Um, basically, it combines a few different things, um, devices and things together. Um, to allow for potential spirit or otherworldly, et cetera, communication. Basically, what we're doing is we're taking a simple spirit box, an, an SB7 spirit box. We're plugging it in to uh, totally sound, really well soundproofed headphones, um, drummer's headphones, which is an essential part so that the, the person who's listening to the box cannot hear anything that's going on around them except for the box. And then you blindfold that person so that they're completely isolated solely with the sound of this spirit box. 
you let the person sit and listen and then they just purely act as a megaphone saying the words that they're hearing coming across the device we started it because we got tired of using spirit boxes when we were looking for ghosts in the traditional format carl and i used to go around and have people do tours with us and we felt like they weren't very legitimate devices because people were hearing what they wanted so it was like well let's just have one person listen and then suddenly that person a lot of people who try it on seem to enter some sort of bizarre psychical framework of mind where they just become this I don't know, this transmutation occurs and it's and it's very bizarre. And it's something we tried in Hellier One, worked really well. And so we tried it a few different ways in Hellier Two. Yeah, yeah, with some really interesting results for sure. Um so Rob Christofferson from the Our Strange Skies podcast, he asks you guys, uh, is there any footage that didn't make it into the series that you wish had made it in? I know that's probably a lot, but um yeah, anything really specific stand out to either of you in terms of that? Holy cow. I know. <sighs> should we should we talk about hypnosis stuff still Greg, I was, I, that's literally that that's literally what i was just gonna say nice go you take this one connor because this is personal so when we did the hypnosis experiment um i went under as well um but it turned into a very personal experience <laughs> and also <laughs> a very like it didn't necessarily seem like there was so much alien contact or contact with the phenomena compared to carl's stuff um I, like I said, sort of practiced some meditation and practiced the Estes method. So maybe I had good lubricant or whatever you want to call it to just like kind of fall under. And it seemed like that's what happened. It was pretty freaky to watch. And uh, I did see an image at one point that may be related to the case later on. At least we have the footage if we need it. But um, yeah, putting Carl's in felt more relevant to the storyline. But mine was still something that, yeah, was pretty pretty shocking and and strange. Mm, yeah, maybe maybe the uh, special features we'll get to see. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Rob Christofferson also asks, when and where can I get a Tyler Strand action figure? Oh God, <laughs> don't encourage him. No, <laughs> he doesn't need it. No, uh, Rob. But, uh, We'll consider it. Yeah, I, I knew he'd bring some levity to these listening questions. Tyler Strand has uh, licensed us his image in perpetuity forever. So we'll uh, <laughs> if we think we can make a buck off of his likeness, we'll do it. Awesome. Buck, buck off of that that jawline there, man. Right. We call him. We call him Action Man. He does some good True. stuff out. It, he's he goes everywhere. He'll go anywhere. That's Honestly, you, that's what you I, I think. Tyler is one of the best additions to the second season because here's the thing. Again, we're all very nervous people. We're a bunch of – I think it was the last podcast on the left that called us soft nerd people, <laughs> and it's true. So adding adding him to this group, he is actually – he's added a lot of really great forward momentum. As you see, as you see in the argument that Strand and I have in episode four, Strand is very much who – who I was when I was like 10 years ago, right? Before I was jaded and cynical and fat and scared. <laughs> Strand Strand argues with me and uh, I think argues with all of us 
and pushes us to do things that make us a little bit nervous. So he's really been a fantastic addition as as Action Man, and he's a really great researcher too. So he's a fantastic new addition. Gareth asks, do you think this experience was never about the goblins, but an exercise given to you in how to research the paranormal? Uh, do you see mm-hmm. yourself changing the way you research something as opposed to methods before Hellier? I know you both come from sort of a ghost hunting background. So what do you both think about that personally? Yeah, I'd, I'd say uh, yes, two thumbs up. You know, it, it's funny. The uh, entirety, without giving away too much of, of the ending, but we're sort of continuing this checklist and we're being very open with it. You know, we're a little bit, uh, you know, we keep a lot to ourselves, but we're like, you know what? This is what's happening. Here's our methods of looking into this, which is in a way a little bit intimidating to sort of show a lot of the cards, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But we put it out there and it's like, this is how we're going to look going forward. There's this, you know, hashtag and this almost tongue in cheek joke of the alien cave based task force. (laughs) And, and, and we love that it's now something that's crowdsourced out there um, to say, this is a real time modern day, high strangeness investigation, here's how you can help out. And so it's giving us instructions as to how to find potential window areas and things like that. I would say that I wonder if there were goblins in the first place. Look at, Greg talked about it earlier in this interview. How strange is his inbox, you know? It is filled (laughs) by the nature of running the websites and doing the work that he does with ghostly reports and alien reports which he loves i know it's it's wonderful but how often does a report come out that says goblins and that in turn was enough incentive to go to go actually check it out in person uh hellier isn't just about us now hellier is a toolbox and particularly hellier too uh there's a very obvious set of tools that we have been given uh, by a hidden hand, by the phenomena, whoever, that we have freely and willingly given to the rest of the world. And they can take what they need. They can leave the rest, whether that is buying a book that they never would have read before or uh, using the Estes method or uh, you know, using hypnosis or looking at how things line up on a map, checking geomagnetic anomalies. There are so much there that people can take and use for themselves. So it hasn't just changed the way that we investigate and not, not just investigate, but view the phenomena as a whole. It's changing the way that the viewers view it too. And I think that's the, that's a big point of what we're doing and why, frankly, I think Hellier's is, is is, quote unquote, infecting people as much as it is. Leslie asks, since Hellier 2's release have any new mysterious emails been received? And also, <laughs> also, has there been any backlash or threats from townspeople or anyone since the release? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's, it's funny. We, we, not too long before Hellier 2 came out, I started getting lots of encrypted emails sent from Gorilla Mail. Um, if anyone's familiar with Gorilla Mail, it, it it's, a, it's an inbox that exists for like an hour. Um, and now, you know, we know a lot more about tracing emails than we did in the first season. <laughs> that's something that's something we learned a lot about. 
So when I get these things, the first thing I do is I go, all right, I'm going to go find this IP address. I'm going to check the headers. Um, the headers were obviously run through a VPN uh, and then through Gorilla Mail, which is anonymized anyway and sent through uh, you know, an inbox that only exists for an hour. And they were pretty threatening um, yeah. and, and essentially were like – they were basically saying there's a thread in season two that I know exists and you better drop it. Well, we didn't drop it. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly. Yeah. So yeah. we'll see what happens. Well, I'm, I'm always looking for red dots coming through my window. Oh, jeez. <laughs> well, it's, it is. It's uh, there's some intimidating aspects to it. And, you know, like Greg said, we've gotten good at this and in terms of trying to track people down and, and Internet and research and things like that. So we have what I also feel some comfort in that is not a spoiler necessarily because it's it's actually in the series. Alan Greenfield tells us, he says, you know, you better ask me for a word or a phrase or something that one of these mysterious figures like Terry might know that other people wouldn't know. So we have some potential cross checks if, if needed, but mm. man, it's a weird inbox. <laughs> that's, yep. that's true. We actually, you know, we, we, we've democratized this process more than we ever have. But there are still a lot of cards that we've held really close to the chest. The cool thing about Hellier 2 is when people finish the final episode, they are they're literally like a month behind us. They're mm. pretty much caught up to date. Um, but there are a lot of things that just either because of privacy reasons or to, to maintain the integrity of the case or for our own safety, we've either uh, obscured a little bit or kept to ourselves. So that if somebody does come out of the woodwork saying, well, I'm Terry Rist or whatever, uh, we know what to ask to know whether this person's jerking our chain. Exactly. I mean, when you're out, when the scope is this big now and you're you're broadcast across the world, I mean, everyone and their mother's going to come out of the woodwork and either try to pull a fast one on you guys or... Uh, lead you down a path that maybe is going to uh, disinform you even. Yeah. Or, you know, it's and, tough. And I think on a, on a smaller scale and in a, in a more um, a mundane scale, a benign is there's a lot of people, they see Hellier and they see what's happening. And the thing is, Hellier is a very special thing. It's special to us, and I think it's special to the people that it resonates with. We, we talk a lot about how it calls to who it calls to. And there's a lot of folks who they, they want to insert themselves into the narrative, whether it is something like, you know, I, I, I've seen Indrid Cold or I have a psychic impression or, um, you know, there's uh, a lot or, or I don't know, Terry's my dad, a literal one that we've gotten before. Mm-hmm. Um, things like that. It's very difficult sometimes. It's very difficult sometimes to be like, well. I don't believe you. <laughs> um, thank you for wanting to be a part of this, but I don't believe you. Um, there, it's tough. It's it's really tough because there's a lot of that. And now that Hellier has a much bigger has a much bigger net, you know, there there are people that it, it calls to and do like that's one of the craziest, coolest things about season two is people get to see, particularly in episode six. How many people reached out with information? Yep. The fact that we released Hellier for free 
the first season in January became part of the case. And so we got tons. I mean, I got stacks of emails that have information. And some of those led to some pretty big things in season two. Um, so we never take that for granted. But be, what with that, you know, it's the first it's the first episodes titled Noise and Signal. Here, we're going to end, guys, with the four most popular questions I got asked for you guys. Um, the first one being, is John Tenney going to be in the show this season? Can't answer that, can we, Connor? If, you know, if the phenomena wants John Tenney to be in the show, he'll he'll be in the show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I We can leave it at that. I mean, if he was meant to be a part of this journey, he is. But I guess he'll just have to watch to see. Mm -hmm. Let's see. What else do we got? Okay. Most popular question number two. What do you both hope that audiences will take away from Hellier? I want people to be willing to talk with each other. I'm hoping that Hellier is able to break down walls that exist between the crypto crowd, the ghost crowd, the UFO crowd, and uh, sort of becomes this you know, people hate on it because it's a mesh of all these different things, but the majority of people find that that's a, a pretty beautiful mixture. So I would, I would hope that it elicits and starts conversations. I, I want it to re-enchant the world. I want people to, I want people to look at the world differently. I want them to pay attention to the synchronicities in their lives and see what those synchronicities might mean to them. I want them to consider, uh, extraterrestrials and ancient gods and uh the 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 estes method i want it to become a bar that has been set that now once people have seen it they have to they have to go and try these things and particularly if they're paranormal investigators i mean we run in a in a, in a world of paranormal investigators and frankly i think that the water is pretty stagnant man and i i i I think there's a lot of stuff that we we try very hard to present in Hellier that I hope will shake things up and I hope will make people consider ideas that maybe they wouldn't consider before because there's no movement. Uh, I haven't felt really any movement. I mean, one of the last things that excited part of the reason I loved Carl and Connor so much is what they did with the Estes method. I thought that was like the coolest, most innovative thing I've seen in so long. And so you know, that type of thing resonated with me. And there's so many experiments in the second season that people have never seen before or have never been attempted before. And I'd love to see people take those and run with it, build on it, re-enchant the world, stop being so cynical and see how big and beautiful and wonderful the world becomes when you just decide to be open to things that maybe scared you or maybe confused you or maybe you didn't even believe in before i love that man um in in relation to sort of opening up uh one of our last questions here is for you both personally what doors do you think maybe you were able to close when it came to hellier if any Car connor how about you oh man <laughs> i think that the door in hellier was already closed when we got there <laughs> if that's, that's the a good answer way. i love yeah. that and so instead we were knocking on the door to see if it would open and then were presented with uh, some more doors to walk through. So I'm not sure we're necessarily the ones that are that are in in control of that. Um, I think that our goal is to find 
and peek through as, as much as we can um, while it's active and open. Yeah. My favorite thing about Hellier and particularly the group that we've put together in Hellier is we're all very different people from very different backgrounds. And we, we, we argue and we disagree on things sometimes. But at the end of the day, I think we're all very interested in the same thing. And we are greater than the sum of our parts. All right, guys, here we go. The number one most asked question. Will there be a season three of Hellier? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, watch Hellier a million times. Buy the merch. Uh, download the soundtrack. And uh, tell absolutely every single person you can to go watch Hellier, to love Hellier, to rate and review Hellier on Amazon Prime. And maybe the ACBTF will return someday. Oh, I love it. See, that's spoken like a true independent creator. <laughs> <laughs> oh, love it. Um, well, I guess one more question, guys. Where can we find Hellier and all the work that you're both up to? Hellier can be found currently on Amazon Prime. Uh, that is where we, you know, no hold, no holding back here. That's where we prefer people to watch it if possible. Um, it will be released, um, internationally on YouTube on December 13th. Um, as of right now, this recording of this podcast, of this, of this interview, it is, uh, an Amazon prime exclusive. Um, so just search Hellier, uh, H E L L I E R. Uh, and then also you can follow each of us on on our respective socials. Um, my personal one is at Connor J. Randall. So we are try to be as as conversive as we can and sit and, and chat with everybody about this case that we're all all involved in. Oh, absolutely. You guys are so giving with your time on your social networks, which, again, I think is part of this whole thing is – slowly bringing everyone in. I, I think I can speak for all of the people who have watched, like you are part of this now. You, 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 you don't have a choice. You are part of this <laughs> ritual going on. So accept it, watch it. And Greg, where could we find more of what you're up to, man? <laughs> if people are interested in, in me or Dana, uh, they can go to, uh, they can go to the pair uh, paramuseum.com. That's got a lot of stuff about us. We're very easy to find. I think all of us, Carl, Connor, uh, Tyler, Connor, we're really easy to find on social media. Just look for us. And uh, we're super interactive. All of us are super interactive. And uh, we want to talk with you. We yeah. want uh, we want to engage. Engage the strange, baby. Engage the strange. Guys, please use the hashtag Hellier on Twitter while you're watching this. Let let all of the group know what you think. Um, I'm, I'm just going to say this to sort of end, guys. You, you're changing sort of the way we consume, but I guess more importantly, experience paranormal-themed television media and how we can sort of build upon research, find new approaches. So as someone who's been in the UFO field for a while now and seeing how stagnant things can become, I mean, this was this whole Hellier experience has been such a breath of fresh air um, for someone who was strictly nuts and bolts ufology so i gotta thank you for that for getting us all involved initiated like i said and <laughs> guys i honestly i can't wait to see where it goes next so thank you thank you thank you for coming on thank you ryan um, thank you for having us man also a little teaser guys once you get to the final episode of hellier uh you're gonna maybe want to watch through the credits um that's all i'm gonna say holy shit <laughs> <laughs> 
That's it for this week's episode. Again, check out Hellier Season 2 right now on Amazon Prime or starting December 13th on YouTube. Keep up to date with all the Planet Weird happenings at weirdhq.com. If you haven't already, please take a moment to head over to the Somewhere in the Skies podcast on Apple Podcasts and click subscribe. Please also rate and review the show. This is the largest platform for podcasts, and with your help, we can gain visibility and find new listeners. Thank you in advance. For the entire month of December, all profits from the Somewhere in the Skies store will go to help the Women's Refugee Commission. This amazing organization advocates for the rights and protection of women, children, and youth fleeing violence and persecution from all over the world. By purchasing Somewhere in the Skies merchandise, you're not only supporting the show, but supporting this incredible organization this holiday season. If you have a UFO story to tell, you can contact me personally on the website. Head on over to somewhereintheskies.com and use the contact tab. You can follow the show on Twitter at Somewhere Skies and Instagram at Somewhere Skies Pod. Thank you as always to the E1 Podcast Network. And my special thanks to you for listening. I'll see you here next week. And remember, keep your feet on the ground, but never stop searching somewhere in the skies. Skies is produced by Third Kind Productions in association with the Entertainment One Podcast Network. To learn more, visit entertainmentonepodcast.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.